Chapter Two of Jarwin and Cuffy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Esther Ben Simonides. Jarwin and Cuffy by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter Two, Island Life. There are few of the minor sweets of life more agreeable than to awake refreshed and to become gradually impressed with the conviction that you are a perfectly free agent that you may rise when you choose or lie still if you please or do what you like without let or hindrance so thought our hero john jarwin when he awoke on the same spot where he had thrown himself down after several hours of life-giving slumber he was still weak but his weakness did not now oppress him the slight meal the long draught and the deep sleep had restored enough of vigour to his naturally robust frame to enable him while lying on his back to enjoy his existence once more he was on first awaking in that happy condition of mind and body in which the former does not care to think and the latter does not wish to move yet both are pleased to be largely conscious of their own identity that he had not moved an inch since he lay down became somewhat apparent to jarwin from the fact that cuffy's chin still rested immovable on his neck but his mind was too indolent to pursue the thought he had not the most remote idea as to where he was but he cared nothing for that he was in absolute ignorance of the time of day but he cared if possible still less for that food he know was necessary to his existence but the thought gave him no anxiety in short john and his dog were in a state of quiescent felicity and would probably have remained so for some hours to come had not the setting sun shone forth at that moment with a farewell gleam so intense that it appeared to set the world of clouds overhead on fire converting them into hills and dales and towering domes and walls and battlements of molten glass and gold even to the wearied seaman's sleepy vision the splendour of the scene became so fascinating that he shook off his lethargy and raised himself on one elbow oi cuffy he exclaimed to the yawning dog seems to me that the heavens is afire hope it won't come on dirty weather before you and i get up something in the shape of a hut that minds me doggy he added glancing slowly round him the we must look after procurin of our supper i do believe we've been and slept away the whole day well well it don't much matter seeing that we ain't got no duty to do no trick at the wheel no grease in the mass worst of all no splice in the main brace and no grub this latter remark appeared to reach the understanding of the dog for it uttered a melancholy howl as it gazed into his master's eyes ah cuffy continued the sailor with a sigh you've good reason to yell for the half of a rotten fish ain't enough for a dog your appetite come let's see if we can't find something more to our taste saying this the man rose stretched himself yawned looked helplessly round for a few seconds and then with a cheerio hello cuff come along my hearty went down to the beach in quest of food in this search he was not unsuccessful, for the beach abounded with shellfish of various kinds, but Jarwin ate sparingly of these, having been impressed, in former years, by some stories which he had heard of shipwrecked sailors having been poisoned by shellfish. For the same reason he administered a moderate supply to Cuffy, telling that it, it weren't safe whittles, and that if they was to be pisoned, it was as well to be pisoned in moderation. The dog, however, did not appear to agree with its master on that point, for it went picking up little tit-bits here and there, and selfishly ignoring the share-and-share alike compact until it became stuffed alarmingly and could scarcely follow its master back to the fountain arrived there the two slaked their thirst together and then jarwin sat down to enjoy a pipe and cuffy lay down to suffer the well-merited reward of gluttony we have said that jarwin sat down to enjoy a pipe but he did not enjoy it that night for he discovered that the much-loved little implement which he had cherished tenderly while on the raft was broken to atoms in his coat-pocket in his eagerness to drink home first landing he had thrown himself down on it and now smoking was an impossibility at least for that night he reflected however that it would not be difficult to make a wooden pipe and that cigarettes might perhaps be made by means of leaves or bark while his tobacco lasted 
so he consoled himself in the meantime with hopeful anticipations and a quid. Being still weak and weary, he lay down again beside the fountain, and almost immediately fell into a sleep, which was not at all disturbed by the starts and groans and frequent yelps of Cuffy, whose sufferings could scarcely have been more severe if he had supped on turtle soup and venison, washed down with port and claret. Thus do those castaways spend the first night on their island. It must not be supposed, however, that we are going to trace thus minutely every step and sensation in the career of our unfortunate friends. We have too much to tell that it is important to devote our valuable space to everyday incidents. Nevertheless, as it is important that our reader should understand our hero thoroughly, and the circumstances in which we find him, it is necessary that we should draw attention to some incidents, trifling in themselves, but important in their effects, which occurred to John Jarwin soon after his landing on the island. The first of these accidents was that John one day slipped his foot on a tangled covered rock and fell into the sea. A small matter this, you will say, to a man who could swim, and in a climate so warm that a dip with or without clothes was a positive luxury. Most true, and had the wedding been all, Jarwin would have had nothing to annoy him, for at the time the accident occurred he had been a week on the island, had managed to pull and crack many coconuts, and had found various excellent wild fruits, so that his strength, as well as Cuffy's, had been much restored. In fact, when Jarwin's head emerged from the brine after his tumble, he gave out to a shout of laughter, and continued to indulge in hilarious demonstrations all the time he was wringing the water of his garments, while the terrier barked wildly round him. But suddenly, in the very midst of a laugh, he became grave and pale, so pale that a more obtuse creature than Cuffy might have deemed him ill. While his mouth and eyes slowly opened wider and wider, his hands slapped, first his trousers, then his pockets, then his vest, then his coat, after which they fell like pistol shots on his sides, and he exclaimed in a voice of horror, "'Gone! Ay, there could be no doubt about it. Every particle of his tobacco was gone. It had never been much, only three or four plugs. But it was strong, and he had calculated that, what with careful husbanding and mixed herbs, it would last him for a considerable length of time. In a state bordering on frenzy, the sailor rushed back to the rock from which he had fallen. The backy was not there. He glanced right and left, no sign of it floating on the sea. And he went head foremost like a determined suicide. Down, down to the bottom, for he was an expert diver, and rioted among the coral groves and horrified the fish, until he well-nigh burst and rose to the surface with a groan and a splutter that might have roused envy in a porpoise. Then down he went again, while Cuffy stood on the shore regarding him with mute amazement. Never did Pearl Diver grope for the treasures of the deep with more eager intensity than did John Jarwin search for that lost tobacco. He remained under water until he became purple in the face, and, coming to the surface after each dive, stayed only long enough to recharge his lungs with air. How deeply he regretted at that time the fact that man's life depended on so frequent and regular a supply of atmospheric air! How enviously he glanced at the fish, which, with open eyes and mouth, appeared to regard him with inexpressible astonishment, as well they might! At last Jarwin's powers of endurance began to give way, and he was compelled to return to the shore, to the great relief of Cuffy, which, miserable dog, if it had possessed the least smallest amount of reasoning power, must have deemed its master hopelessly insane. "'But why so much ado about a piece of tobacco?' we heard some lady reader or non-smoker exclaimed. Just because our hero was, and had been since his childhood, an inveterate smoker. Of course we cannot prove our opinion to be correct, but we are inclined to believe that of all the smoke that had issued from Jarwin's lips, from the period of his commencing down to that terrible day when he lost his last plug, could have been collected in one vast cloud, it would have been sufficient to have kept a factory chimney going for a month or six weeks. The poor man knew his weakness. He had several times tried to get rid of the habit which had enslaved him, and, by failing, had come to know the tyrannical power of his master he made up his mind never more to strive for freedom but to enjoy his pipe as long as he lived to swim with the current in fact and take it easy it was of no use that several men who objected to smoking from principle had had themselves gone through the struggle and come off victorious pointed out that if he went on at his present rate it would cut short his life and jarwin didn't believe that he felt well and hearty and said that 
he was too tough by a long way to be floored by baccy besides if his life was to be short he saw no reason why it should not be a pleasant one it was vain for these disagreeable men of principle to urge that when his health began to give way he would not find life very present and then baccy would fail to relieve him stuff and nonsense did not jarwin know that hundreds of thousands of old men enjoyed their pipes to the very last he also knew that a great many men had filled early graves owing to the use of tobacco but he chose to shut his eyes to this fact moreover although a great truth it was a difficult truth to prove it was of still less use that those tiresome men of principle demonstrated that the money spent in tobacco would if accumulated form a snug little fortune to retire upon in his old age john only laughed at this what did he want with a fortin in his old age he would ask he would rather work to the last for his three b's his bread and beer and baccy and die in harness a man couldn't get on like a man without them three b's and he wasn't going to afford to deprive himself of none of em not he besides his opponents were bad argifers he was bound to say with a chuckle for if as they said baccy would be the means of cutting his life short why then he wouldn't never come to old age to use his fortune even if he should manage to save it off his baccy this last argument always brought jarwin off with flying colours no wonder for it was unanswerable unless he came to love his beer and baccy so much that he became thoroughly enslaved to both his brief residence on the south sea island had taught him by painful experience that he was capable of existing without at least two of his three b's bread and beer he had suffered somewhat from the change of a diet and now that his third bee was thus suddenly unexpectedly and hopelessly wrenched from him he sat himself down on the beach beside cuffy and gazed out to sea in absolute despair we must guard the reader at this point from supposing that john jarwin had ever been what is called an intemperate man he was one of those honest straightforward tars who do their duty like men and who although extremely fond of their pipe and their glass of grog never lower themselves below the level of the brutes by getting drunk at the same time we feel constrained to add that jarwin acted entirely from impulse and kindly feeling he had little to do with principle and did not draw towards those who professed to be thus guided he was wont to say that they was troublesome fellers always shovin in their oars when they weren't wanted to and settin themselves up for better than everybody else had one of those troublesome fellows presented john jarwin with a pound of tobacco in his forlorn circumstances at that time he would probably have slapped him on the shoulder and called him one of the best fellows under the sun cuffy my friend exclaimed jarwin at last with an explosive sigh all the baccy's gone so we'll have to smoke seaweed for the future the terrier said bow wow to this cocked his ears and looked earnest as if waiting for more come along exclaimed the man overturning his dog as he leaped up we'll go home and have somewhat to eat jarwin had erected a rude hut composed of boughs and turf near the fountain where he had first landed it was the home to which he referred at first he had devoted himself entirely to the erection of this shelter and to collecting various roots and fruits and shellfish for food intending to delay the examination of the island until his strength should be sufficiently restored to enable him to scale the heights without more than ordinary fatigue he had been so far recruited as to have fixed for his expedition the day following that on which he sustained his irreparable loss entering his hut he proceeded to kindle a fire by means of a small burning glass with which in happier times he had been wont to light his pipe very soon he had several roots resembling small potatoes baking the hot ashes with these a handful of plums a dozen of oyster-like fish of which there were plenty on the shore and a jot of clear cold water he made a hearty repast cuffy coming in for a large share of it as a matter of course then he turned all his pockets inside out and examined them as carefully as if diamonds lurked in the seams no not a speck of tobacco was to be found he smelt them the odour was undoubtedly strong very strong on the strength of it he shut his eyes and endeavoured to think that he was smoking but it was a weak substitute for the pipe and not at all satisfying thereafter he sallied forth and wandered about the seashore in a miserable condition and went to bed that night as he remarked to his dog in the blues 
Reader, it is not possible to give you an adequate conception of the sensations and sufferings of John Jarwin on that first night of his bereaved condition. He dreamed continuously of tobacco. Now he was pacing the deck of his old ship with a splendid pipe of cut cavendish between his lips. Anon he was smoking a meerschaum, the size of a hogshead, with a stem equal to the length and thickness of the main topmast of a seventy-four. But somehow the meerschaum wouldn't draw, whereupon John, in a passion, pronounced it worthy of its name, and hove it overboard, when it was instantly transformed into a shark with a cutty pipe in its mouth. To console himself, our hero endeavoured to thrust into his mouth a quid of head, which, however, suddenly grew as big as the cabin skylight, and became as tough as gutta percha, so that it was utterly impossible to bite off a piece and stranger still when the poor sailor had by struggling got in it in it dwindled down into a point so small that he could not feel it in his mouth at all on reaching this the vanishing point darwin awoke to a consciousness of the dread reality of his destitute condition turning on his other side with a deep groan he fell asleep again to dream of tobacco in some new and tantalizing form until sunrise when he awoke refreshed leaping up he cast off his clothes rushed down to the beach and plunged into the sea by way of revitalizing his feelings during the day, John Jarwin brooded much over his dreams, for his mind was of a reflective turn, and Cuffy looked often inquiringly into his face. That sympathetic doggie would evidently have besought him to pour his sorrows into his cocked ears if he could have spoken, but, alas for people who are cast away on desert islands, the gift of speech has been denied to dogs. Besides being moody, Jarwin was uncommonly taciturn that day. He did not tell Cuffy the result of his cogitations, so that we cannot say anything further about them. All that we are certainly sure of is that he was profoundly miserable that day, that he postponed his intended expedition to the top of the neighboring hill, that he walked about the beach slowly, with his chin on his breast and his hands in his pockets, that he made various unsuccessful attempts to smoke dried leaves and bark and wildflowers, mixing with those substances shreds of his trouser pockets, in order that they might have at least the flavor of tobacco, and that he became more and more restive as the day wore on, became more submissive in the evening, paid a few apologetic attentions to Cuffy at supper-time, and finally went to bed in a better frame of mind, though still cribbing painfully for the weed which had enslaved him. That night his dreams were still of tobacco. No lover was ever assailed more violently with dreams of his absent mistress than was John Jarwin with longings for his adorable pipe. But there was no hope for him. The beloved one was effectually and permanently gone. So, like a sensible man, he woke next morning, with a stern resolve to submit to his fate with a good grace. In pursuance of this resolution, he began the day with a cold bath, in which Cuffy joined him, then he breakfasted on chestnuts, plums, citrons, oysters, and shrimps, the former of which abounded in the woods, the latter on the shore. Jarwin cut the shrimps in a net, extemporized out of his pocket handkerchief. While engaged with his morning meal, he was earnestly watched by several green parakeets with blue heads and crimson breasts, and during pauses in the meal he observed flocks of brightly covered doves and wood pigeons, besides many other kinds of birds, the names of which he did not know, as well as water hens, plover, and wild ducks. "'Lost your appetite this morning, Cuff?' said Jarwin, offering his companion a citron, which he decidedly refused. Ah, he continued, patting the dog's sides, I see how it is. You've had breakfast already this morning. Been at it when I was a-sleepin'. For shame, Cuffy, you should have waited for me, and you've been and over at yourself again, you greedy dog. This was evidently the case. The guilty creature, forgetful of its past experiences, had again gorged itself with dead fish, which it had found on the beach, and looked miserable. Well, never mind, doggy, said Jarwin, finishing his meal and rising. I'll give you a little exercise today for the good of your health. We shan't go sulking as we did yesterday, so come along. The sailor left his bower as he spoke, and set off at a round pace with his hands in his pockets, and a thick stick under his arm, whistling as he went, while Covey followed lovingly at his heels. End of chapter 2 Recording by Esther Simonides